thank you for listening to another episode of the Bold Platform Podcast. My name is Adrian, and I'm the creator and host of this podcast. The podcast was created uh, about six months ago now as a way to share the stories of inspirational women from around Australia who are working on really amazing projects or sometimes businesses that are leaving the community a little bit better than how they found it. So these can be movements, they can be projects that people are working on in their spare time, or they can be full-blown charities and not-for-profit businesses. Um, I do want to let the listeners know today that we will be talking in detail around uh, domestic violence. So if this is not the best episode for you, um, please feel free to skip the episode. Or if it's just not a piece of content that is the best for you to listen to, please feel free to move through to one of our other episodes. It's important to us that um, you're not listening to anything that could be triggering or upsetting for you. If this podcast does bring up anything, um, please remember that 1-800-RESPECT is a great resource and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So let's get started. I'd love to welcome a beautiful friend of mine, Kelly Mills, who does lots of different things, but today we're going to be talking about 100 Alice stories. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Adrian. So let's get started and um, tell the listeners about 100 Alice stories. 100 Alice Stories is a collection of stories. Um, I'm keen to get to 100 ultimately stories of um, escape and survival from domestic abuse. It's It may be a story of someone having lived with abuse as a child and what they've done as they've grown up to um, get to a better place within themselves. It may be someone, uh, a woman who's been abused in a marriage or a relationship and how she has um, uh, removed herself from that relationship, uh, maybe removed her kids as well from that relationship. And it's the stories of how they got out, what happened in, in the control in the relationship, but how they got out and how they're doing now. And the idea was to provide um, hope and inspiration for women currently in those relationships. Right. I was tired of hearing yet again another woman had been killed through to through yes. domestic violence and um, or committed suicide through abuse that, you know, control that they live with and they felt it was helpless. And so I thought if I could save one life, that would be amazing. Um, and women in those situations um, don't often think that there's other women out there dealing with it. They think it's all their fault. And so why was the issue of domestic violence um, a story that you wanted to tell? Was it around the fact that there just was so much of it going on in Australia? Oh, it's pretty near and dear to me. I grew yes. up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my biological father was a um, uh, violent alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up. He never hit me or my sister, but he um, he certainly, you know, I witnessed a lot as a small child. Um my stepfather was a controlling man whilst mm. he never hit my mother. Um, his his um, control and abuse was different. Yes. Um, but it, financial control um, and um, verbal control was pretty tough. I'd also been in a relationship when I was much younger that I had in my head, and, and it's funny, it's my measurement was 
if they hit you, then it's bad. Mm. But in this early relationship, well, at least he doesn't hit me, so it's okay. But it, but looking back all those years ago, um, it was it was verbally abusive yeah. and emotionally abusive relationship. So it's something I'm very passionate about. Mm. It's a really great point that you raise. I think that so many people think domestic violence equals physical abuse and that's what the thing that's sort of the scenario that we run through in our head when we hear the term Mm. domestic violence but through some work that um how we met through the amazing charity here in newcastle got your back sister i through some training they did there i actually learned that there's something like 11 or 12 different types of violence that fall under domestic violence and you mentioned some there around control whether that's financial control there's like social media abuse the the um controlling you know what you can wear and when you can leave the house like there's so many layers and people think well he doesn't hit me so it's not violent a a domestic violence relationship but yeah my gosh there's so many different Uh, definitions I guess or different types of abuse that fall into that category and you don't realize when you're in the midst of it yes when it's the non-physical type of abuse you it starts to become the norm yeah that you get used to not wanting to go somewhere because they'll be there yeah that's a really good point prepare yourself you steal yourself for if they have that one extra drink, how they're going to be, or, you know, you're watching for signs um, all the time. I mean, as a result, one of my superpowers that I use in the work I do is I'm really good at reading body language. Mm. And people who've grown up with um, abuse and being hypervigilant, um, you often become very good at reading where people are at. And, you know, I can use it in a positive way in the work that mm. I do. But, um, yeah, I I grew up looking for that moment of when things were going to get bad yeah. and, and continued it, it on for a large part of my younger life. It's such a good point that you raise in terms of the progression. I know from my own experience, which um, you know, thanks to you, I've had the opportunity to now write about and, and contribute to the, mm. this pr- beautiful project that you're running. But one of the things is it doesn't start on the very first fight. Well, not for me personally, as pushing and shoving. It, in my own experience, it started as snatching a phone or breaking my phone when there was the thought mm. that someone had messaged, like a, another guy had messaged, it never happened. But I could tell you, oh, in the 12 months, the first 12 months, I probably went through like six or seven phones, like mm. back in the day of the flip phone, because yeah. you just snap it in half through that rage. And then it would be not letting you use the car or not letting you in the house and those sorts of mm. things before it came to that progression of, you know, tipping a bed over while you're in it or all the way through, it doesn't just start as that. Have you found that that is a common thread through the stories that you've read through this project? Absolutely. In in the stories, there's no story that starts with, well, I knew the first time I met him. Right. 
um, when he, you know, slapped me up the side of the head or yep. when he, um, you know, abused me for ordering the fish yep. when he wanted me On to have steak. On our first date, yeah. You know, um, it, 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 no story starts like that. Oh, yes. I knew straight away. Um, it, it tends to be he was such a loving guy. He was so um, attentive mm. and made me feel special. And then it, it's not all the cases where they start like this and then the control builds up and over a long time but it starts to be you know are you really going to wear that today um who were you talking who were you talking to why are you spending that money um that sort of sort of thing Mm. it can also be as simple as someone who um drinks too much and when they drink um they're abusive Mm. to you verbally abusive put you down next day oh yeah I'm sorry but you know what I'm like when I'm drunk but you know you make me do it and if you weren't so whatever Mm. lazy fat ugly whatever it is that their thing is at the time yeah um you know you wouldn't have made me do that yeah and so that's where it starts a, a real pattern because the woman starts to believe that well maybe it was my fault and, you know, maybe um, if I was thinner or I was smarter or I was whatever. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't Or she do wouldn't this. do this. Yeah. yeah. I, I, th- I think I love that things are changing now. I know with my, my mother, um, she rocked up at the police station, um, which was a gutsy move mm. in the 60s, mm. right? And she rocked up at the police station and she had... Um, broken jaw, broken nose, you know, she was, she'd come from the hospital where they treated her appallingly um, and uh, her father was visiting and my grandfather took her to the police station Mm. and she walked up to the counter and the policeman at the time, and remember this is the 60s, said, oh, what happened, sweetie, didn't get dinner ready on time. And he was so condescending makes my blood boil (laughs) and he was really lucky because my grandfather um uh reached across (laughs) and mum stopped him and he just reached across this guy grabbed him by the tie and said mate um by the shirt and said you need to get your supervisor right now yeah because you don't want to be around me right now yeah and so it's changed now. There's, right. there's a much better education for women going to the police now. Mm. Um, there's there's much more support for women than there were in my mum's day. Yeah, absolutely. Still have a long way to go, but oh, a, a massive uh, yeah. way to go. And and so the 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 challenges are, you know, we're still blamed in that stupid, ridiculous question. Why doesn't she just leave? Yeah, and it's the dumbest question. It's the because, most stupid question. Yeah, yeah, because it puts the blame on the woman. Yes, yeah. it's, it's like now. Hang on a minute. Why is he or she? Because it happens in same sex relationships. Yeah, it happens um, in hetero in hetero relationships with with the reverse or yeah. the woman is the controlling, um, abusive one. Um, but the stat do show it's it's majority prevalent the other way around and um but but why are they doing it Mm. and why does society think it's okay Mm. why has it been minimized yeah so so that's part of where my passion comes from and the the project um i remember when rosie baddy became um it was 2015 she uh, was Australian of the year and so it certainly heightened the conversation about it and I think that's one of the greatest gifts she's given to our country Mm. Um, and 
I was working out west in Burke and Brewarina and Lightning Ridge and Walgett and um, doing work with some amazing groups of people that were um, particularly in Aboriginal communities who were supporting women and children and families. And the sitting around the table with these women in these workshops I was running, there was this story sharing. And I remember I, it was only the second time I'd been out there and these women were sharing their stories and they were being very real about what had happened to them or what their old man did to them and all of that sort of thing. And I don't know why I just started to talk about my childhood and and life as a younger person. And halfway through the conversation I thought, oh, Kel, this is, this is not very professional of you. But in that environment, it was so accepting and it wasn't me trying to do one-upmanship. It was me just going, yeah, I, I, I totally get it. This is what, you know, I, I live with. And uh, the the connections that were made by these women, they didn't all know each other, but the connections that were made through the sharing of the stories was really powerful. Mm. And we would drive away from there, my husband and I, you know, heading back to Newcastle and I I kept saying to him, I've got to do something. I don't know what it is, but mm. I have to do something. And he just would smile because he knows <laughs> when I make a decision, something's going to be done eventually. And he supports whatever I do. And I've been involved with women's things for many years. So, so that was sort of the first step with this this project. I, I it got me. One Rosie was out there talking about it. Community was talking about it, and then I was with these amazing women and watching the connections that occurred with the sharing and the stories. The next thing that happened is um, it was Anzac Day in 2015 and I was going out for dinner with some friends in Beaumont Street and we were wait- my husband and I were waiting for the cab to pick us up because we were planning to have a few bevies and I was flicking through Facebook, as you do, and I came across something that a friend had shared and so it was a... Um, it was a, a six-year-old girl calling 911 and I clicked on it and I still get the chills when I think about it because I I froze. It's this six-year-old was calling 911 in the States to call the police because this is daddy was beating mummy and now he's got the baby. And it was live and it was like it was it was very real. It was recorded and we heard it and my husband's calling the cab, I'm frozen, totally freaked out listening to this because I was that six-year-old child, you know, I know that fear Mm. when you're a tiny little kid. I Mm. used to train myself to stay awake until daddy got home so I could protect mummy. Now, she didn't know that because she would, when he got home, she would come and close the bedroom doors, but I would sit with the door, peek out it, you know, and um, so I could protect her. And so, that doesn't leave you in your life, and I'm 59 now. That that protection that's ingrained element. It's ingrained, and so. But but I remember standing at the kitchen bench, freezing in, inside. And Gary said, "Oh, look, the cab should be here any sec." So I couldn't even speak to him about where I was at, mm. and he kept looking at me because I must have looked pretty distressed. And we got in the cab, and I shook the whole time and we got into Beaumont Street and we're standing out in the footpath and I'm explaining to him where I was at, you know, and then I kicked on with my friends and, 
you know, was, was it, it threw me. Yeah. And that was on the, I think it was the Saturday night and then on the Monday we were driving to um, to out west to do some more work and we stopped at um, a, a little town and, um, pardon the pun, for a loo stop at Dunny Do. Mm. And, um, <laughs> we, and, and you also get good um, reception there so mm. I checked my phone, you know, emails and, and messages and that. And there was a message from a woman I'd known years ago who said who'd been um, quite passionate about the domestic violence side of things and supportive when I make comments on Facebook. Anyway, she said she'd just got off the phone from someone she knew whose niece had petitioned the um, the uh, minister, state minister for education, to um, include information around um, healthy families in the curriculum. Um, she was a fourteen-year-old girl. Her name was Josie Polar, and um, because her mother committed suicide, and Josie said if she had known that what she went home to every night after school was not normal, she might have been able to help her mum. Right. And so my friend Kim said, I don't know why I had to tell you I got off the phone from him but I felt really strongly I had to let you know and this brave young girl's telling Mm. her story. So this is where I start to sound like a a nutcase. You don't. (laughs) Because I, I read that message from her and all I heard in my head was 100 stories, time to rise up. Hmm. It, that's the nutcase bit because it was just really clear in my head. It just came to you. It like just it came just, to me, yeah. time to rise up, 100 stories. And my husband started to talk to me as we got in the car and drove off and I said, just give me a minute. And it all, within 10 minutes, I had this clear idea of what, I wanted to do with the project. It's I incredible. wanted so, and I think it was those three events linking. Yeah, and it was the power of the stories, and that's why I wanted to have something. I ultimately envisaged a, a, a book mm-hmm. down the track, a beautiful book with beautiful inspirational quotes in it, photographs, and then throughout the book, these stories of of courage. I remember at the time um, the surfer guy whose name escapes me, you know, was was attacked by a shark. And, Mick Fanning. Yeah, Mick yeah. Fanning. And it was all over the news and he, he was so brave and his mate was so brave and, and I don't want to take anything away from that. But seriously, these women every night, every day dealing that's with courage. what they do, that's courage. And they get up and they feed their kids and they get – Keep them as safe as they possibly yeah, can. They go to work. They, they go put to on work. a brave face for everyone, yeah. and, and they cop the judgment of people who have never experienced anything like that. Yeah, and um, so that's courage. So I wanted the sharing of those stories to be spread with other people, and um, so I got the idea. I rang um, a number of people I knew uh, at the time. I had a contract I was doing work with um, Family and Community Services, so it used to be called DOCS. Mm. And so I started talking to people there saying, am I a bit crazy wanting to do this and is there someone already doing it? And they go, no, I I don't think there's anyone already doing exactly the same thing. And um, and, uh, my... um, 
my husband's daughter um, was working in that space herself as an educator. Okay. And I asked her and she said, I think it's a great idea. Mm. And so I had all this support. Uh, I reached out to people who could assist me with um, making sure I did it right because our primary goal was to keep the women safe. Correct. And the Alice part of the Alice stories came from my husband who said, why don't you give, he said, how are you going to keep them safe because you can't use their real names? Yeah. And I hadn't sort of got that far. And he said, why don't you give them all the same name like Alice and give them a number? And and he said, it doesn't have to be Alice. But the Alice sat with me because I thought of that, well, I think it's a bit of a daggy song, but some people like it, that song Living Next Door to Alice. Mm. And what really resonated with me is, quite often you can be living next door to Alice and you might not know or you do know and you don't know what to do about it. And so Alice kind of suited quite well. So yeah. so each person tells their story and we assign them a number and so they're Alice number one through to ultimately 100. Mm. And it's been quite amazing to see how women have responded to that. The, I spoke at an event, at a Reclaim the Night event. I've done a couple of those. And this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, Hi, Kelly, I'm Alice number so-and-so. And, -so. and um, she was so proud of herself that mm. she'd shared her story. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's, it's so powerful. It's really powerful. Yeah. It really is. When the original idea of the book came out, um, came to you, what, were some of those first steps that you took then? You mentioned you started talking to people in the community yep. to make sure that you were doing it the right way, that you were keeping the women yeah. safe. It's since then evolved to the website yeah, form. The, so the, how did that come to be? Well, we decided that we would start with a website. Um, we, we had a set up a Facebook page, but we did the website first and um, and we, we run that, my husband and I. And um, we found that was a way that we could share the stories. So the, the advice we got was um, what to have on the website mm -hmm. to prepare women for when they're wanting to submit their stories. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the Submit Story page, there's information on there about self-care first to make sure you're ready to do this yeah. and what might happen with you emotionally when you start to dig up the story yeah. and how to create a support network around you and what what feelings you might have. So so I got guidance from professionals because this isn't my area of expertise. Sure. And so that's on the submit story. So it's not it's not to get people hyped up, put your story in and then regret it afterwards. So so there there was that part of it. We also found that they also felt that it was important that women knew how to deal with their browsing history because of the, the women who needed to read the stories, mm. um, who have um, have partners who are checking everything they're doing, they, they didn't want to be caught reading something like that. Yeah. So we've even got advice on how to remove your, you know, browsing history. Mm. So so that, that was the primary focus to make sure we could keep them safe. Mm. It, that's so wild to think that you have to include that, but then it's also so obvious that yeah, that's yeah. just a, a given that you would have to have on a site like like that yeah. because of the potential repercussions for women that are looking yeah. at sites like that. 
the the word spread really quickly. Um, we we got some stories up there, and the stories were really encouraging, mm. like horrific, horrific stories. You read them, and you think, "Good grief!" And th- there's there's an assumption in some parts of of our community that it happens t- to the lower socioeconomic people, mm. and yet we've got people there that that who've written their stories that have lived on the North Shore whose whose partners have been um, very um, uh, well-heeled, well-educated people in the community, you know. Um, it, it, it doesn't... Discriminate. Uh, no, not in any way, shape or form. No. It doesn't just happen in, you know... No. Western suburbs or Western no. New South Wales. It happens on the North Shore. Yeah, you know, it happens the in same. the most expensive suburbs to exactly the most right. career-driven, yeah. qualified kids go to the expensive schools and yep. to the people that are living in supported housing where they can't feed their kids because they don't yep. have the money and every single suburb in between. Yep, exactly right. It doesn't discriminate. Not, not at all. We found that the writing of the stories, so we give women full control of the stories um, that so they send us the story and we'll edit the story but the editing is just to make sure we keep them safe so yes. we will remove anything in that story if a lady says this happened on our wedding anniversary when we went to this restaurant for mm. dinner we remove all of that anything that could identify yes. Alice um, we'll um, change some of the details slightly because they might be identifying details we won't change the details of what occurred mm. just anything that will identify them yeah so um, we don't do a lot with the grammar, although some people might send their story in one long sentence because that's how they've purged it yes. and they've hit send and I'm done with it. But what we do is we, um, once it's edited, we send it back to them in case they've changed their mind. So they have the control. We send it back and then once they're happy with it, they send it to us mm. approved and then we upload it to the site. Assigning them a number. That, yeah, they get given. assigned a number and... Um, and so then they get to have it there. And the overwhelming response from the women has been, I really hope I can make a difference to someone else's life. This has been therapeutic or this has been the hardest thing I've had to do. Um, one late, but, but I've closed a chapter on, you know, the, the book mm. on that chapter in my life. Um, one lady I knew in her um, 50s talked about a situation that occurred when she was a child and she had carried that burden her whole life and this was the second time anyone had known about it. She wow. never told. She only ever told one other person mm. in her life what had happened to her. But she chose to share her story so she could help other people. What blew me away was the number of strong, intelligent, powerful women I knew personally that um, I had been involved with clients, um, on committees with, friends, whatever. Mm. Once I started talking about it, they they would contact me and say, can I share my story? And up until that point, they didn't know I had stories mm. and I didn't know they had Everyone's them just walking around with this little invisible badge on yeah, their yeah, shirt yeah. and it's not un- until you uh, find a place where you can let that badge show 
yeah. and that you know that the people will be like, hey, I've I've got the same badge. Like yeah. we're kind of in this club that no one really wants to be in but it's a club nonetheless yeah. and, and you get the connection with other people because no no two stories are the same regardless no. Of, no. of how similar they could be but it brings people together in an unfortunate way but brings them together nonetheless. Yeah, and and they do, you're absolutely right, Adrian, they, they do feel a connection. Mm. And for women to, um, and, and, and this is feedback I've had, is women saying, oh, you know, I've got a friend and I had coffee with her one day and she had noticed me um, sharing the, the 100 Alice Stories Project Facebook page thing and she said to me, I'm an Alice. Mm. And so that's kind of the badge that they're wearing is that I'm an Alice. Mm. So I'm, I'm someone who has a story and I've had to be courageous yeah. To, to move through whatever occurred in that story. And giving people like that now. common language yeah, yeah, to it's share. Yeah, a common identity. Yeah. And something not to be embarrassed about. Um, it's, it's, it's shifting you from being a victim to um, a, a courageous um, warrior who's, who's out there now. You know, you might be barely holding it together, but you're holding it together and you've got through it and you've made it. And yeah. that's, that's something pretty impressive. It definitely is. I can only imagine um, the grief and the pain and the stress that some of those stories would cause you and also Gary, your partner. Mm. How do you and also he um, take care of yourselves so that um, you can – keep fighting this mm. fight but not to the detriment of your own um, health and emotion yeah. and relationships. Gary's been amazing because he didn't live with any of this growing up. He's And he's incredibly um, empathetic to um, women. Um, all my girlfriends think he's gorgeous. He's a, he's, he's He's a very loving, caring man, but he hasn't experienced his stuff. So he's been able to see the stories, deal with them, and there's been no triggers for right. him. There have been times when a story will come through and he'll say, I don't think you can read this at the moment. Okay. So so he would he would sort of protect me a little. Mm. I, I would at times make myself read them because I think I've got the luxury of not paying attention to mm. this but I need to pay attention but I did go it's, a, it's an interesting question I did go through a period of time where I had to step away from the whole project because through the project I found out something unbelievably horrific about someone I had idolized within my own family right and it rocked my world completely rocked my world so I had to go into pretty serious self-care mode yep. before I was ready to deal with other people's pain I had to work through my own and what did what does that self-care look like for you not just um at that time but also just on a regular basis that things this is part of the mm. work that you do yeah ongoing um at the time it was I needed to see a professional counsellor mm -hmm. because I I didn't know how to process the information I'd been given. Mm -hmm. And I'd lived through quite a bit of trauma in my life and always bounced back. But 
I think it was knowing that um, I wasn't equipped to deal with this. I'd, I'd hit I'd hit this wall that was seemed insurmountable to yeah. me. Time to call in the professionals. <laughs> call in the big guns. <laughs> and so for the first time I, I called um, a counsellor, I got advice from a, a beautiful friend um, and, and saw a counsellor and he was amazing. He gave me a way to process mm. that information. The, the self-care ongoing is um, – and, and he gave me some fantastic tools so I was able to put it where it belonged right. in my life. It wasn't overshadowing. I, I, I lived under this phenomenal cloud for quite a few months. Um, but I feel like I came out of the cloud. But what I do now is I'm, I'm doing what I can with the project and I'm accepting that some days I'll be stronger – than others. Yeah. And I'm giving myself permission to do that. And I don't think we do that very well as women. I think, and, and I haven't done it very well in my life because, you know, I'm tough and I'm strong and I can do this and I've got this mm. and I'll be letting people down if I don't do this. But it not when it's to my own detriment. Mm. I can't be a spokesperson for these women. I can't support them if I'm falling apart myself. Yeah. And unfortunately when you go through something as traumatic and horrific as the things that you have, it's kind of like that benchmark then. So it's like, right, so I can get through like the Z grade trauma. Yeah. Well, you don't have an excuse on the other days then because you've got through that. So it's like, well, pull your socks up and just keep going. But that's to the actually to the detriment of other mm. people and, and yourself and your relationships yeah. instead of just going – you know what, if the best I can do today is shower and brush my teeth and put a bra on, then I'm doing pretty good <laughs> and we'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow yeah. comes, isn't it? Yeah, and and we need to give ourselves permission to do that. Yeah. We absolutely do. And to communicate that with other people and not yeah. and just be like, no, you know what, I can't actually come to work today or come to that meeting today or go for a walk or whatever it is and that's okay. I had a recent experience with some friends where, they just said, look, I need to clear my calendar for the week. I'm just, my anxiety's through the roof. I'm not coping. And four out of the eight people in that group went, I'm so glad you said that. I am just not coping. I felt like I was letting everyone down. So I was just going to come for dinner. Yeah. And everyone just felt like this collective relief because yeah. someone had said, I just need to clear my calendar and not have to have any commitments this week. And then everyone just was like, oh, yeah. yes, me too. Thank goodness. Like, it gives you, other people permission to be Totally. Real. Yeah. Um, I I had the absolute oh, privilege of seeing Brene Brown last week mm. in Sydney. Oh. And I said to um, a friend of mine, I said, I feel like Brene gives me permission to be a bit of a cow sometimes and to be me and to be real. Yeah. You know? Not that I need a lot of permission, but it was was nice to a good reminder. <laughs> she's, she's very human as well. Yeah. You know, and, and even like beginning of this year, I had a heart attack in mm. January, as you know, and um, I had to really look after myself yeah. and put my self-care first and when it's not how you've always been it it takes a a, a while to goes um, against the grain yeah. yeah but but I did because I didn't have a choice well yeah I didn't want to die so I did everything they told me I should do yeah sometimes <laughs> it's like the universe is like come on Kelly yeah. we're giving you all the warning signs yeah. yeah yeah exactly right exactly right so what's coming up for the project and you what are you sort of looking forward to at the moment or um that's 
I guess, keeping you with that momentum with what, the project? What keeps me with the momentum in the project, and I've stopped putting pressure on myself to to have the 100 stories and to get that book out because the website alone has made a difference. We, Absolutely. I figured I would never know if there um, – if women would read a story – identify with it and seek help and I figured I was just going to have a have a go at it and but I found out anecdotally about two women who were directed to the stories who made a decision to seek help after reading a story because they identified Kelly that is phenomenal so that's and, and I don't know what happened to them after that but the fact that they made that decision yes. after reading the stories. Like you can imagine how the tears flowed. I can imagine. <laughs> but the other, the other part, so, so that's really powerful. The other part is what it's doing for the women who are telling the stories. I have had the most beautiful um, messages and emails and um, and, and through, through the website and the Facebook page from women thanking us for giving them a vehicle and just them knowing they may be helping another woman. We have no proof of, of we don't have stats or anything to, to measure. Um, I remember I was offered government funding and I knocked it back because it wouldn't be an organic project that my gut feel was telling me the direction it needed right. to go. Um, I would have had to, um, and I understand why sure. if you get government funding, but I would have had to um, tick boxes and have measurements and and all of that. And that's oh, got you. That that's not what it's about. Mm. You know, um, I I couldn't. I can't provide any stats. You know, all I know is that I get lots of, of messages from women who are grateful. Um, uh, we post things on the um, 100 Alice Stories Project Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And so we put some little reminders of, of what domestic violence and abuse looks like. Um, uh, we put information on there occasionally of where women can go f- for help. But we also put some positive reinforcement things of, you know, you've got this and you can get through this and you're stronger than you believe you are. Um, And we make sure there's nothing on there that shows any judgment. Yeah. And so going forward, to answer your question, going forward, um, I want to keep it keep it happening the more people who know about it the more we'll talk about it and the more women might read the stories in a safe space where they can um, connect with it and the right women reading the right story and making a difference to their life absolutely so what can people listening do what can we do right now to support you like if people are listening to this what action can they take right now to help support the project um, to help support the project, I'd love them to go to our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love them to like the page. They're not going to be hit with lots of traumatic um, trigger yes. stuff, um, but share it, um, let other people know it exists so um, we can be, they might need to read that stuff themselves because they haven't experienced it or not experiencing it, mm-hmm. but they might know someone who does. So, but pointing them towards there, it's it's a safe space that um, 
women can have a look at. Um, there's there's men that have, have liked the page and have connected and have had their stories. It was interesting when I first started the project, I had a couple of guys write to me um, quite aggressively about, you know, oh, look, I think you're delusional thinking it's all women, which I don't state anywhere. Mm. And um, one guy was quite nasty in his comments when he, he, he wrote on the page to me through the page and he said... Um, um, you know, when are you going to, you know, don't you know that men experience this experiences too, you know, why don't you do men? And, mm. and so my response was, you know, I'm really sorry if you've experienced mm. trauma in your life and abuse. Um, we're focusing on Alice stories at the moment, um, but if there's a strong enough need, when this project's complete, we might look at 100 Alex stories mm. unless, of course, you want to start the project yourself. Yeah. So, you know, that was how I dealt with. And I, honestly, I, I got a lot less um, negative feedback than I thought I would. Mm. I was quite prepared to, to become a bit of a target through it. And we got a few, but the vast majority has been really positive support. It's a great point that you raise because without fail, every time you see something about domestic violence in the community shared on any sort of platform, there's always comments from men and from women making comment around the fact that this is a very female-focused awareness program, initiative, activation, whatever it might be. And I get it because men are the the victims as well. Absolutely. I know that the statistics are unfortunately more focused on the females because mm. the statistics are what they are. The stats are, yeah. don't lie. That is yeah. the the um, the reality of the situation. But yeah, how do you sort of um, feel when you see those? comments that no doubt are always there around what about men this happens to us too my ex-wife da, 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 those sorts of things how like what is your response or how does that make you feel when you see things like that I feel sad that they've experienced it and um I I tend to go into I'm sorry you feel that way mm. Because it's not something I can control um, and I'm not going to go to great lengths, um, particularly via social media where trolls love to troll. I try to write something um, supportive with empathy Mm. uh, towards them and they can choose to do what they want with that. And I might often finish, you know, if they want to come back at me and be nasty, I'll go, I'm really sorry you feel that way, I hope you're okay Mm. and finish it up with that because I, I don't get angry about it because they're hurting. They've got their stuff they're trying to deal with, so I, I leave it to them. Yeah. But I'm not going to buy into it and I'm not going to defend. Yes, they're, they're the stats, as you said, the stats don't lie. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't minimise what's happening to some men. It doesn't minimise what's happening. I, you know, one of our stories is from a, um, a same-sex um, relationship yeah. and it was just as abusive as a male-female. Yeah. So nowhere in our stories, do nowhere on our website are we saying men are bad or men are yeah. evil. Nowhere on our Facebook page do we say that. Yeah. It's it's it's. It's people who are abusive and controlling. Yeah. 
um, are a problem. And, and generally, not always, but generally, um, theirs is their reaction to trauma and stress earlier in their it's life. It's their own stuff coming yeah, out their own through stuff. the keyboard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and even the abusers, it's their own stuff. That you know, most people don't aren't born abusive. They've had things occur in their life that have led to it. It's not an excuse, and it doesn't make it right. No, but it is what it is. Yeah, you know, they're they're responding in the way that they are. Well, it's like monkey see, monkey do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things that's the most powerful thing for any of us is to find some way of forgiveness. If and it's not easy, mm. but if you can do it and do it, you do it for yourself. It's not to justify, it's not to say that what happened was okay because it wasn't okay. But to forgive them means that you can free yourself up from it. Yeah, absolutely. I know that there's something that you would like to read, um, yes. but before we get into that, if you could share with the listeners the best way for people to get in contact with you, I know you do a lot of speaking around this and you've obviously got the website as well. So what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Um, through, if you want to uh, message me through the um, uh, 100 Alice Stories project, it's called 100 Alice Stories Project Facebook page. Okay. People can message me through there or contact us through the website, um, send a message through for that. Um, is probably the best way. Okay, fantastic. Um, so that website is 100, so the numbers, so 100 and then au. so 100alicestories.com.au. Kelly, from a podcast point of view but also from a personal point of view, thank you so much Um for the work that you do in this space. It's something that is, um, yeah, very very close to my heart and having the opportunity to tell my story through your project was huge in healing that I didn't even realize that I needed to do and also to start a conversation with people in my family that um, didn't know all the details but I'd never had the opportunity to thank the way that I needed to. So thank you so much for that and um, before we wrap up we're going to have Kelly share something. So Kelly, thank you so much for coming on My to the pleasure. podcast. My pleasure and I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about this and just to go back very quickly from what you said, what else can people do? It's not just support my project but be brave enough yeah. to have the courage of our Alice's to if people are making um minimizing comments about either gender but particularly if you hear um, someone making you know she hits like a girl just it's okay to start to say um, I'm not comfortable with that and if we start to become quietly stronger we don't have to rant and rave and carry on but if we become quietly stronger if the women can do that and if the guys can do it as well because I know so many amazing men who are just appalled by other men's behaviour and they use silence to to sort of signal they're not happy. Mm. But silence isn't getting the message across. They need to be able to go, mate, I'm not not comfortable with that. It's not okay. What I would like to finish reading is um, from one of our Alice's, and I won't go into details on the podcast. You can read her story um, yourself, I think, Alice number 73, 
uh, she she's from out west and she said, oh, I think it's time I shared my story and she's an amazing, amazing woman who had the most horrific things, just mind-blowingly horrific things occur to her. But at the end of it she says, I'm learning there are places to go for help and that the view in society has changed. And I always get emotional reading this, so mm. bear with me. <laughs> Women can now seek help, can talk about domestic violence and are empowered to leave their violent partners. You have a voice, so don't believe you are weak or stupid or ugly or dumb or any other bad thing your partner has forced you to believe about yourself. The reality is you as a person are important in this world to someone. You are a mother, sister, aunt, niece, grandmother or friend to someone. You are a valued member of society and no one wants to see you dead. It proves nothing and is a waste for you to lose your life because one very selfish partner thinks they own you. You are not personal property, you are a human being with rights, feelings and you belong in this world. Believe in yourself. It is a hard road to travel, a lot of heartache and hard work, but you deserve to own your own life and to live how you choose and to live free from violence. Ask for help, accept help, don't deny yourself the right to improve your situation and believe in yourself. It's phenomenal. Powerful stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you.